Hey friends, thanks for hitting play and welcome to our special Monster Fest series of videos. Glenn and Ben here from Good Movie Monday and with Monster Fest around the corner we're going to be taking time out to chat with a few of the creatives behind films on the Monster Fest lineup. Ben, hey mate, it's good to see you. Who have we got on the uh, in the hot seat tonight? Well Glenn, uh, we are joined by the two co-writers of Keeping Company, Josh Wallace and Devin Das. Oh, and did I mention that uh, Josh also happens to be the director of the film? And Devin, one of its lead uh, actors. Uh, hey, fellas, welcome to the show. How are you both? Hey, guys. Good, good. Glad Doing great. Thank you, guys, so much for having us. No, thank you. Thank you. Uh, now, for those uh, poor slobs who haven't memorized the MonsterFest program off by heart, can you give us a brief rundown about what Keeping Company is all about? Yes. Uh, Keeping Company is uh, follows a fateful chain of events that start to unravel um, once these two insurance salesmen uh, go knocking on the wrong door and they find themselves trapped inside of a serial killer's basement. Uh, and it puts their lives and their jobs on the line. Um, so it's a, it's a social satire that just explores uh, class and wealth in our society by taking ruthless corporate salesmen and mixing them with suburban serial killers and asking if you can tell the difference <laughs> yeah exactly it's a it's a perverse buddy comedy like that's how we've always seen it yeah uh, now look i i didn't want to talk about the film too much because uh as i mentioned off mic glenn hasn't seen it uh so i don't want to spoil anything for him but it is it is actually one of my uh favorite films of the festival and you guys have managed to for a, for a, this is your both of yours first first feature film, yep, uh, I believe, and it you've managed to grab a cast of some of my all time favorite character actors, including and I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to get her name wrong because I don't know if it's I don't know if it's just Australia the Australian in me, but is it is it Gillian or Gillian? It's Gillian, Gillian, Gillian. So she yeah. she, she pronounces it correctly. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Exactly. Excellent for her. From yeah. <laughs> from Suburgatory and the New Girl and the Hangover movies. And she also played one of my all time favorite uh hookers in film in Slam and Salmon. She was like, yeah. that, that's why we that's why we cast her. That's right. we, we were specifically looking for <laughs> uh, like the hooker Because she's like the corporate big insurance bigwig slash hooker. The, the parallels are... Uh, yeah, right. Might yeah, as well, yeah. Right, right there. It's all about capitalism. <laughs> and you've also, you've also got Bernard White from Rec and Silicon Valley, who is fantastic. And I just watched him in The Education of Alison Tate from when he must have been in his 20s. And he's playing... In that one, he's playing like a Native American Indian, which I remember thinking oh, was... Yeah, well, that's, you know, that's Hollywood for you. That's Hollywood, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you've got, you've got Andy Buckley from The Office, Rex Lee from Entourage and, and Suburgatory again, and then William Russ, yeah. who I... <laughs> Who is it? Like when I was going through his filmography, because I like I've always loved him, and I remember him from kind of Boy Meets World and and stuff. But he has been in I think just about every single TV show ever made. Yeah, he's that's a guy that's been he's always working. Yeah, yeah. and he's in he's the only guy I know who's been in both The West Wing and Mr. Sterling, the the kind of West Wing knockoff, or, yeah. or maybe the other way around. <laughs> Interesting. I, I, didn't, I don't even know if we put that together. That, <laughs> He's both. But what I, I have to say, my my one uh, minor disappointment with the film was that in the film, William Russ's name is uh, Glenn Gary, but there's no other character called Glenn Ross. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. We really messed up. It was, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, Ben, my name's Glenn and my dad's name's Ross. So, so oh, there well, you go. There you go. We put that connection together. Full, full circle. circle. <laughs> Shout out that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm curious, how did you put this amazing cast together? Like, is it true that in Los Angeles, all you have to do is grab like a rock and you spin around in a <laughs> circle and then throw the rock and you hit like a phenomenal actor? Well, you know, what's funny is that's not too far off from the truth. Like you can be walking around here, going to a coffee shop and you're like, oh, hey, that's you know, so-and-so like my dog, my dog met Shia LaBeouf a couple, uh, I think it was last Christmas or two Christmases ago. And just down at the coffee shop, like that I go to all the time. And he was like loving all over my dog. And in my head, I'm like, this fucking Shia LaBeouf right here. Cannibal, cannibal, bad man, Shia LaBeouf. Is that 
But I was going to say, Ben, that that's what happened to Gary Busey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, he, he got hit with a rock with too many times. <laughs> yeah. Gary Busey. Oh, too many times. Yeah, I think it was the crack rock. It wasn't. Uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that was too easy. Um, but to answer your question, yeah, I mean, the way we cast it was we literally just reached out to people's reps. Like we put together a wish list of people that we, as we, as we were writing this and we were creating these characters, we just had conversations of like, who do we see playing these roles or who do we want to bring these characters to life? Who do we trust to bring these characters to life? And um, we're a small, low budget indie film. We didn't have a casting director. So we just reached out to our the people that we wanted and we reached out to their reps with um with offers that were not very big offers but they were we were hoping that they would attach to the material and whatnot and we got super like insanely lucky it just started to line up and we couldn't believe it and then once you get one person on board you can then speak to the fact that you have that person on board and it just starts to legitimize itself and we got really lucky like we like i I don't it is one of those things where it became very apparent that like actors want to act, they want to work. And if they, if you have something that they like that they haven't done before, which is kind of what we were hoping they would see with our project, um, they'll go for it. And, you know, it wasn't, you know, like we, I think the most anyone worked was like four or five days at most. Like it wasn't a ton of, like we didn't take a ton of time away from them. You know what I mean? And they, yeah, so we got super lucky. It was it was great, but that's that's how we went about it. And you yeah, guys shot. Oh, sorry, I was okay. going to say you, you shot in LA, which is a like a, a rare thing these days, as as I understand it. Yeah. So you're yeah, kind of cool. people, uh, you know, from their like direct from their homes. Yeah, that was yeah, probably well, like a very helpful thing to us, like that we never really talk about too much is the fact that like shooting in LA, even though it's like way harder to do that, um, and especially on an indie level, just because the town is so aware of filming. Um, so you have to get all these permits and like all like the insurance and stuff like that. Like it just becomes like a lot, but it makes it easier for the actors and uh, to travel. Um, so that was, uh, uh, super nice. I also just wanted to like kind of reiterate that point of kind of what Devin was saying of like, you know, everyone that is kind of in this movie for the most part is from the comedy world. And, you know, that's the world that Devin and I kind of came up in and we're, we're doing a film here that is, you know, kind of rides the line a little bit and gets into a territory that I don't think most of those people had the opportunity to ever really play in. And that's really helped us out uh, in terms of, of, of casting and them getting to do stuff that just was, I think, a little more unique or interesting. There was there, I know, I, ha- I, did, I did have a look at your uh, filmography uh, prior to, to this interview. Was there ever a discussion of getting Reginald Val Johnson? <laughs> there wasn't. There wasn't. I would have. I loved working with him way back in the day. Was, that was another thing, too, where he just, like, came out to do this Funny or Die sketch and, like, he literally showed up, had a ton of fun for like 30 minutes and then was out. And it was like, oh man, that guy's the best. We got <laughs> you know, him to family matters in a yeah. very ironic way. It was great. It was the best. Yeah, it was, it was fantastic. Like it was, it was, I thought it was really good the way he dropped in that, that uh, the only <laughs> thing that really matters is family. It was very. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When, uh, when, uh, when I, when we pitched that to him, we were like, oh, this might not be so great and he was all for it so <laughs> yeah no we know ne- we never <laughs> yeah he, he never came up uh for this but uh maybe on the next one you know maybe on the next one yeah fingers crossed yeah um, we, okay die hard yeah. <laughs> I, I just look i have to say like my favorite thing about hollywood is that family matters is a diehard spinner like, yeah <laughs> yeah like that that's a thing is it's the best thing ever <laughs> the best thing ever yeah <laughs> like steve urkel exists <laughs> yeah <laughs> like you know i love that amazing okay. uh, now <laughs> when we asked you to come on the show we did ask you to come up with five films that either inspired you to become filmmakers inspired uh keeping company or just that you really really loved so um why don't we kick things off with with number one yeah sure um 
Well, Josh and I share a lot of very similar taste and, and share a lot of the same inspiration. So this was pretty easy for us. Um, and I would say the first one, to, which is a great one to just sort of start off with what both in, inspired us as filmmakers and writers, but also very much inspired um, Keeping Company is uh, Fargo by the Coen brothers is a, is a huge one. And, and that one's really big for this, for Keeping Company for multitude of reasons. It's the ensemble factor. It's the actual structure of the film. And it's... It's the character-driven dark humor that then leads you to some very dark, dark material towards the end and kind of leaves you with a feeling of like, well, what was this all for? Um, and uh, and so Fargo, Fargo is a, a major one. And the Coen brothers in general, like I honestly, I think I, I, I know I speak for Josh and I when I say like we could we could say every single one of their films has inspired us so yeah i think it's like we were turning to fargo yeah I would, like coen brothers kept coming up as we were like mm. uh you know writing and kind of going into pre-production and, and whatnot and um it, it fargo obviously being you know a masterpiece and like they're one of the biggest works um but then one of the more recent ones burn after reading uh felt also kind of right in line with uh, you know, that's more spy espionage mm. kind of satire. Um, but like, again, just that cast ensemble of characters, you kind of never know what's uh, going to happen. Like they do a lot of surprising things in that that movie that you don't uh, expect. Uh, and I don't know, I don't want to spoil it for anybody <laughs> who, who hasn't seen it, but they do almost a similar thing that we ended up doing uh, in ours. Um, and... I was, I was going to say, it's, there would have been a very interesting edit of Keeping Company when they go down into the basement and there's just like the, a sex swing. <laughs> That's what he's taken them down to. Devin, Devin was demanding that there was always a sex swing on set, but we... We, not for we, filming, for my not for filming purposes. He, he wanted it as trailer. <laughs> that's that's how Ben. That's how Ben podcasts. But um, I'm on one. Yeah, way. I'm just like a sex. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely <laughs> sex. There's a, certainly a sex swing right off camera, <laughs> right um, next to the video stash. Fargo is in my top five all-time favorite films. It's, it's brilliant. What I love so much about it is the the subplots, the stuff that happens outside of the main storyline, particularly yeah. the relationship between Norm and Margie, that whole stamp thing. There's yeah. something so beautiful about that. And like my heart breaks for Norm every time I watch it. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. No, that's the thing is like there it's, and that, you know, what's great about Fargo and Burn After Reading, both, I, I, I would say our first, our, our first film for us to talk about is really just those two films, honestly, because they, they share a lot of similarities in structure and in tone. And the other great thing is that, you know, it's like you look back at this film, like films being 90 minutes long feels like much more of a modern thing. Whereas like back in the day, like a 90 minute film wasn't, was rare to come by, right? Like at least an hour 40 at least, you know, like, and Fargo is like a solid, really tight 90 minutes same with Burn. And it's just like, they pack in so much. They're such dense films. They're so visually dense. They're they're so rich with their character uh, depth. And to us, it's like, that's why we're like, well, this is what we want to show that we can do. Mm. And we really leaned on those films and the Coen brothers in general um, for inspiration in that and in trying to do something that it, you know, keeping companies very thematically driven and everything that the Coens do is thematic thematically driven. And I don't know how they do it. They, they, they do it time and time again, but um, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's, they're very rich, dense films that we just were like, let's, let's try and do our version of. Also, okay. How dumb are Devin and I that we think like, <laughs> yeah. oh, you know who we could be like? The Coen brothers. <laughs> Let's just make a movie like the Coen brothers. <laughs> like, that's so easy. <laughs> yeah, like, it's so easy. If it was Ben and I would be saying Russ Myers, like, what can we make this like Russ Myers? <laughs> <laughs> How can we get more bosoms into the film? <laughs> <laughs> what, Where are the bosoms? What, what would Jim Wynorski do? <laughs> <laughs> 
I think the other thing, like in both Fargo and Burn After Reading that we kind of encapsulate in keeping is characters that are just in over their head. Like, you know, the Coen brothers nail that almost every, <laughs> all of their movies is characters, small characters in big situations. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we tried to do that, and, you know, in terms of like uh, in two insurance salesmen walking themselves into, they literally walk themselves into, you know, getting kidnapped, you know, yeah. and that is, of course, you know, that feels like a very Cohen-esque yeah. type yeah. Uh, setup or scenario. I mean, they um, virtually demand it in the film. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They forced their way into their situation, yeah. which is sadly the way it would be in real life. It's like you know when we were making that scene when they get into the car crash, and again we're an indie film, so it's like we we only have what we have to work with, but it, it's it's to make it feel like the serial killer is being chased by the insurance <laughs> agents, you know, in that moment, uh, which is such a funny you know flip of, oh, of what that is. <laughs> But it's great. It's great that your character, Devin, throughout the whole thing is pretty much still trying to sell that insurance. Yeah. Right up until well, right up until the end. For sure. I mean, and you know, thematically speaking, like the whole idea is like this is a guy that's just trying to fit into the system. Yeah. And if the whole thing is an explore exploration of our economic systems and and not just the insurance world, but just our economic systems as a whole. And it's like, this is the guy that wants in at a seat at the table at this point terrible tape this table filled with terrible people he wants to be a part of it so badly and he just never he's relentless he never gives up and it's it's one of those things where it's like there are you know it's easy to find those people around you you know and and so um yeah that was a lot of fun uh to explore and to play with excellent okay uh number number two josh i'll let you go um, number two, I'm trying to think of like what I just want to make sure we get this in the right order since we're doing oh, these together. Is, uh, I feel bad because I because I've numbered them, but I do, I do not. They do not have to be in a right in a, in, in a yeah. set thing. Well, I would say like and again, you know, we never. It wasn't anything um, that was so specific. It was always kind of like you know. Uh, a, a multitude of different films that kind of inform this. So, so I'd say like the second biggest thing that, which I think you could see in the movie clearly is um, that kind of classic Hollywood horror um, vibe and style that that's feeding the, the kind of horror thriller end of the, the film. Um, and I think the biggest kind of nod there for us was Psycho um, when you see grandma and Lucas's um, relationship and kind of playing with, you know, the film does start to talk about like psychology and stuff like that a little bit too. And kind of like, uh, God, I don't want to say anything that's going to spoil the film. No, don't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, um, so uh, it, yeah, so there's, there's uh, definitely an homage to that mm. style of, of horror, because if you, you know, you look at the movie, we don't move the camera around too much. It's really about blocking within the scene and trying to communicate like who has power within the scene. So if you watch, you go back and you wonder maybe the first time you watch it, go ahead and um, you'll notice like there's always like someone's bigger in the foreground than somebody else or, you know, just the way that the angle is on somebody or the way that people are talking or placed in, in the scene, um, you know, and that's something that we felt was you'd see a lot in like Hitchcock, um, uh, those old Hollywood uh, type films where it's like, it feels like a lot of horror today now is like, we're, we're, you're moving the camera around uh, a, a lot more. Um, and we really wanted to try and tell, you know, uh, a visual uh, piece through that blocking. Uh, and again, in that same, in that same vein, um, Devin, I yeah. hope I, I nailed that the, the, the psycho as our second. Oh, sure. <laughs> uh, I mean, no, psycho is a big one. Like, so, I, I mean, it, like Josh said, like, I, when we were starting to, as the Lucas character was starting to develop, we really leaned in on the idea of, uh, we really leaned on the inspiration of Psycho and just exploring this idea of the bad guy, finding a way to humanize the bad guy um, in a way. Uh, and this, I don't want to give too much away, this, but we actually don't view Lucas as the true villain in this film. No, we, definitely not. We actually view him as the protagonist. But um, for us, like, yeah, it, uh, sorry, uh, what I was going to say is, like, it 
like Josh said, like the blocking was became so important. And the reason we leaned into, into that is because it played into our film thematically as well. Like, you know, there's so many moments, so many scenes where there are two characters having a conversation, but they're not even looking at each other. So it's, it's, and you're, and you get the sense that they're not even really listening to each other, that they don't really care what the other person has to say. They're just stuck in their own one track. Um, and that tension that the blocking provides is so great when it's like, you, you just have two people in a frame, but they're both, you know, one has the back to the other and it's, and there's a clear power dynamic happening because the whole film is about power dynamics in a sense as well. So um, yeah, Psycho for the, for the Norman Bates-ish character that we created and the dynamic with his grandmother uh, was a huge inspiration. Then yeah, like, you know, Hitch, Hitchcockian, visuals are just still to this day hold up where it's like they, they have they have a sense of dread to them they're not like you're not going to jump out of your seat terrified but you're you're you are definitely tense you know you you can feel uh you can feel that something's not right and and that was a huge inspiration for us uh, definitely it does it does feel like now that you mentioned it i didn't actually pick it up while watching the film but now it's 100 percent like what would happen in the bates motel if a couple of door-to-door -door salesmen Rocked right. up, uh, trying to sell insurance. Right. Like, uh, <laughs> like yeah, that's that's a, a you know like that's and that character evolved like came a pretty long way. Like he was always kind of like a weird enigmatic loner uh, from the very beginning of us our writing. But as as we started to really solidify what we were out to make and write and all that, that grandmother character came in and is she real? Is she not at first and all that? So we uh, yeah that that was a it was, it was a fun blend of like, you know, Josh said, um, I don't know if he said it at the beginning of this recording or if this was off recording, but like, this is a perverse buddy comedy that we wanted to mix with like your, your classic horror world um, and really blend those genres together. Um, and, and so that created a really fun balance for us. I think it's like interesting when you do that. And like, even when we were on set and like, you know, we had the, there was a lot of rewriting going on on set. And like, I remember one, one specific moment that I know Devin will remember where we, we shot a scene and that night we were like, that did not work. Like it, it didn't work at all. Uh, we need to go back and you know, like rethink it. And we came back the next day, pushed our schedule and like redid the whole scene. Um, and I, it's because we're towing such a line of like trying to bring in that kind of that comedy world into this horror world um, and and ride that tone. Um, and it's a very fine line to walk like mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, and but it's also creates something that, again, I think it's a little bit more unique or interesting um, because obviously there's satire of horror today. Um, but when you go back to old Hollywood or, and you, you know, put that in, you're not going to feel, you might not feel that as much. Like, like you were saying there, Ben, where it's just like, Oh, you, you don't, maybe you don't notice it because it just feels like filmmaking in some ways, you know, like it doesn't stand out a, a, as much, but um, yeah, it definitely. Uh, and, and what it also does is like, it makes everything feel a little bit more melodramatic. Um, and I think that's, that's what happened in that one scene that we had to rewrite was that like, oh, this, like when you blend this comedy into this horror in this old Hollywood horror, everything feels like almost like a soap opera. And so we had to like scale that or like figure out how to reel that back in. Um, but it's like such a unique and fun tone to, to play with. It's so weird. Um, yeah. And that's what the, the movie's weird. So. I was going to say, I don't, I don't remember any scenes in the film where one character says something and then pauses while ominous music plays over right. it and they <laughs> yeah. which is, which yeah. I have to, that, that is my favorite thing about soap operas and i always whenever i watch them i'm like how are they how are they acting these scenes like what's the like and hold it and hold it yeah and, <laughs> and hold it and yeah. <laughs> what's sad? what's sad about that is he does watch soap operas i do <laughs> like i got I got through my my entire <laughs> university career is and the fact that I I did manage to graduate at some point uh, after th there was there was a ten year gap between starting and finishing, but I I put that down to John uh, uh, rescuing Marlena when she got possessed by the devil in Days of Our Lives. Wow. That is, uh, 
that for me is the height of no soap opera has ever reached such dizzying highs. <laughs> oh my god! As that period, and that comes after there was a Snake Plissken ripoff character in Days of Our Lives called Patch. <laughs> really? Who was like a secret agent? And oh, and what's his name? The, the, uh, Charles Shaughnessy from the Nanny was like. Well, he was the James Bond oh, character. Put it back in the box. Put it back in the yeah. box. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I, you know what's funny? No, first of all, that's fascinating because I've never watched. Uh, I had a babysitter when I was really young who used to always watch soap operas. So I like had like, I know the vibe of soap operas, but I've never like watched them like in depth like that. So to hear that they even go into those realms is amazing. Um, and it's funny that you say that there's like a, a ripoff like snake character because that's a. The great segue for our third film, actually. Oh, okay, fantastic. I was going to say because they ran out of ideas really fast on soap operas, so then they just <laughs> so they just were like, let's just, like create a universe filled yeah. with like rip off like Halloween costume <laughs> characters. That's yeah. so amazing. Um, well, it's not Escape, but I was going to say they live. I mean, John Carpenter is another guy who it's like you, we could say his whole entire filmography is. Yeah our whole biggest inspiration too. He's another one of those, but they live is a, is a huge inspiration for it. It wasn't necessarily the biggest inspiration for this film in particular, but just, I think for Josh and I as filmmakers and writers and, um, and also from, for, for its, for its uh, satirical point of view and satirical sense that that film provides and, and, and social criticism that it provides, uh, in that sense, it was like a thing of like, we love that movie so much. And it's like, well, let's also try and do that in some sense too, in our own way or whatever. So um, yeah, They Live is a, is a huge, I would say that's probably number three. I mean, it is very much, it is very much like your character in the film. You and, cause you, I, I should probably preface it a bit like you're one of the, you're one of the salesmen in the film. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, has like, they've got the glasses. They've taken, they've, they've taken a look around and gone, no. Nah, Taking them off, like I'll take the deal. I'll, just, I'll obey. This 100%. is my my character wants to be the reptile. Like he wants to be. <laughs> yeah. He that is the thing is he wants to. He doesn't want to fight against it. He wants to fight for it. He's like this is great, and it you know in in his defense, I kind of you know every yeah. now and then when I watch They Live, I'm like, oh, would it be so bad? Like <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Meg Foster's house seems pretty cool. Right, right. <laughs> Like you kind of like you know you watch the Matrix and you're like, nice. oh, jack me back in, like this is great. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm um, like Joey Pants. I'm Joey Pants in uh, in the Matrix. Like, <laughs> like, I don't want to remember any of this. <laughs> Just, uh... I love it. It's not crazy when you like think about the like when you think about they live and like how big that. that the idea is like just that you wear that you wear these glasses you're able to see like the the you know uh subliminal messaging and stuff like that um and like there is you know in our world and keeping it's very big too it's very heightened and whatnot and we throw we throw it in your face a lot of the time in terms of like what we're talking about and what the messaging is, you know, like cast insurance. It's literally called cast insurance, you know, like uh, speaking to social structures and systems. And, you know, they live was that as well, where it's just like, yep, this is, we're exactly showing you what the thing is and what we're speaking to about society. Um, which is so funny, you know, being out here in LA and Devin and I, you know, have to deal with like executives all the time and like other projects and like getting notes on things that they're, they're just like, I don't know, if, like, you know, that just feels too, uh, un like not plausible or like, mm -hmm. you know, too, but it's like every movie that's memorable that you've seen does those implausible things or does those heightened things in a way to get across a point that like then becomes meaningful because it's memorable because it's weird because it's, you know, different. Um, and yeah, so like they live with just like the first time you see that movie, you're, you're like, it's, it sticks with you forever. Like yeah. also the yeah. 10 minute, like alley fight. I was, like, was going to bring that up. Alley fight's one of the best things ever. It's like, it's so funny but yeah, the, and you cannot turn away. It doesn't end. It's like it's the best thing in the world. It's, yeah, and my, my 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 favorite part in the whole thing is when when Rowdy puts the the two by four through the car window, and then it yeah, just yeah. clicks with Keith. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Either or David. Hang on, David Keith, Keith David, Keith David, <laughs> Keith, David. <laughs> Keith David. I always get those two mixed up. Okay. They should now. There's a there's a, a buddy. There's a buddy comedy movie waiting to happen. Yeah. <laughs> David, as as like twins, a twins type movie with oh. brothers. That would be amazing. But when he puts the the two by four through the window, and that's when he, he's like, motherfucker! Like it is like such a great. <laughs> great moment where they kind of like they just take it up a notch it's so good it's it, just everything about that film and it's you know the other thing too is that film is so vibrant it's so colorful it's not dark it's not bleak it's not it's it's it yeah it, it, it just it it brings you in visually in such a major way and i think that is like another thing too where it's like you know our film is very monochromatic but it is very like we, you know, the color scheme is supposed to like grab you, you know, and and I think that's what's so great about they live is 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 how how vibrant it is. It's just so like you can't look away from it. you don't want to turn away from it, um, and and I think it, that helps bring home the point where it's you're not necessarily in a bleak dark world. It's it's that you're you're blinded by the deep, the bleakness and you know, like it's, it's, yeah. it, it's, it's shielded from you. And I think that it, it, it just does such a good job of that. Yeah, totally. It's the, the advertising uh, version of reality. It, it, exactly. Yeah. Which, you know, you could argue is, is our reality, right? Like we yeah. get, you know, the, the illusion of choice. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like <laughs> I have to say my, one of my favorite part, every time I go to the States, my favorite thing in the world is to take a day off from the tourist thing and watch TV. And I like to watch the pharmaceutical ads where they, <laughs> it's like a great, it's like this medication is fantastic. And like, my life is so much better. And then the ad stops and there's like a two, like a 20 second scroll of all of the horrendous side effects. It's, it's so crazy because it feels satirical. Yeah. It feels, it, feels like it's a big joke and it's so serious it's like these big vibrant like lifestyle images and and it's like people being happy or like the intensity that they'll show of like people in pain yeah (laughs) also really funny because it's like i mean because i'm sure it's true that like some of these things that you know that they're trying to help alleviate are very painful whatever but it's like it feels like comical like it's yeah it's it's I often ask, like, do they not realize that it's like one of those the infomercials where they're like, yeah. it's, know, really hard to, it's really hard to put orange juice oranges <laughs> to make this much juice? Like, <laughs> like it's so overdone. They're, they're amazing. Well, yeah. there's always someone's like, there's always someone sailing in, in those. <laughs> like, there's always like someone, like, they're always doing like activities where it's like, what does this, is what happy people do? Like, <laughs> like, like, should I be sailing right now? Like yeah. I, I, I figured that the, from the minute I retire, when I turn sixty-five and retire, <laughs> I, I like I just I wake, I go to sleep, and then I wake up on a boat. Yeah, <laughs> be, that's what happens. That's the rule. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's a that's another funny thing too. It's like even even talking about like we have a commercial, we have an insurance commercial in our film, and it's pretty over the top. It's pretty ridiculous, but I think it fits perfectly tonally into our film. But it's like. It's not far off from That's the type it's not of that, it's not that over the top. Like the commercials that are put out there, you're like, that was <laughs> crazy. Who said it was okay to like make those choices? And that's what made us feel like this isn't even that heightened. This <laughs> yeah, which is crazy. Like even like when you think about like us doing even that like Glengarry ad that plays out very early it on, had it well, right? And yeah. it, like even that, like you know, to us you know, it feels like it's, it's like, well, oh, this is a heightened thing. He's swatting at people with a broom, like, uh, but it doesn't like it, it with the ad, the political ads that you see out here, does it, it's, it's tame. It's a tame thing, which is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, how is that possible? Show, like footage of like things on fire and people like crying and, or like on the verge of death and shit. And you're like, what the f- what is going on <laughs> like our our political ad when we wrote it we thought we're like oh my god this is so silly and cr-. like even though we knew that it wasn't that far off and like it's only like those political ads have only gotten crazier mm-hmm. the past mm-hmm. years it's it's insane that is i have to say it is one of my favorite my, my favorite parts of the west wing 
uh, towards the end when Jimmy Smith is running for president. And uh, he does, they try to come up with a viral ad and they want him to dress up as Robin Hood or, or like, I, I can't remember the thing. But then in the end, he just he, like it goes direct to camera and just yeah. like, you know, I'm, I'm Jimmy Smith and I approve this ad kind of thing. And he does his little, his thing. And that's the viral sensation. Like all of a sudden it's, it's a legit, it's like a, right. an, an actual right. politician is actually talking to us. It's the like, fact that it's like normal and grounded. Yeah. <laughs> Like, and that's the, the, like, people are like, like, it's a stunt. It's a stunt. Be like, it's a great stunt. But yeah. like, that's the stunt. Like, he's. Yeah. He's I love it. Something. All right. Yeah. We up to number two. I think we yeah. know we're up to number four. Number four. four. Right. Four. I'm going to the wrong direction. Yeah. <laughs> On to number but four. I also think, like, we're, we've been way, I think, you know, in talking about the film, when we were kind of shaping everything, we were, I think, way more filmmaker leaning than we yeah. were again towards any specific film um and i think there's still a couple more that we we had i know a big one um for for me i don't know if we fully lean you and i Devin, leaned into it in terms of like the script writing but it is kind of similar would have been and this is huge it should be for everybody is kubrick um and looking at you know like obviously him doing like The Shining is, and even 2001 to a degree, like playing in genre um, and still doing stuff that's just like weird for that genre. Um, but I think ultimately works or adds to, again, adds to the conversation of what film is um, and whatnot. Uh, but like going back to his, con like going to Dr. Strangelove and like the satire there, um that that comes through and that usually it, it feels like kubrick is trying to speak to you um visually as well which again our film you know we were very cognizant of and looking to do um in in every single way that we could like you know we tried to put it into the frame um and you know communicate like even like the the color scheme as as Devin was speaking to in terms of like no matter where you look you see red um, and whether you're in the corporate office, it's all red. You go into this house of serial killers, it's all red because it's all the same, right? Like corporate America is no different than the, the, the house of serial killers. Um, but that we do use color in some other, uh, ways, which, uh, you know, in, in our movie, there's a, a blanket fort, which you'll understand at some point, uh, Glenn, when you watch it, um, but that blanket fort is a place of safety and hope. And it's the only time in the movie where two characters are really actually connecting. Um, and, and that therefore it's blue. It's, it's, it fills the frame with all blue. Um, and uh, so we, we really played around a lot with, again, how can we communicate, you know, uh, in those other ways that I think you would see a, a filmmaker like Kubrick do. Um, yeah, I don't know if you want to. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Kubrick, of course, like, I mean, that's, it almost feels cliche to say he's a big inspiration, you know, because of course he is. But uh, yeah, I mean, and yeah, we didn't, we actually didn't discuss Kubrick a ton when, when writing, like in terms of that, but like it, but, you know. I mean, even like the viciousness of clockwork. I don't know if we even, I feel like yeah. we brought that up. We, we did. We, I think we brought up, I think we brought up clockwork definitely for sure. And it, it was that how do you make the viciousness like palatable? How do you like keep an audience into like on board and to watch it, you know? And, and the only time, the only way to really do that is to know that there is like, there's a reason why you're you know, like it's, it shouldn't be for nothing, you know? I was going to say um, that and you make, you make the, uh, the perpetrator of the violence really enjoy it. Like really right. enjoy dishing it out to the point of like, it becomes a comedy. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's like, that's like, that's like uh, the character of Patrick Bateman in American Psycho, even where it's like, he enjoys yeah. it so much that you're like, this is, this is too crazy that it's hysterical. Like, you know, and, and, and so it is, you know, that's when, the, that's when you'll, you'll see it works the best for sure. And so we definitely did. Um, yeah, we definitely had those conversations in terms of like, all right, how do we make this palatable and whatnot? And I think, you know, both consciously and subconsciously it's like you know with who our inspirations are it's like well well how did how did the greats how did the greats do it how do how has it been done before because it can go terribly wrong 
Yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, that was big. And like, you know, another thing too, that I'll say like of the shining is the, the hotel, like the overlook is its own character. And I think we wanted the house to have that feeling in a sense, not as like overt necessarily, but like we had a lot of conversations and it kind of in, in writing, we had these conversations in filming, it started to like shed a little bit, but we have it there production design wise. We didn't lean as heavily, but the idea of like, uh, how do I say this without uh, giving anything away? Well, okay. Production design wise, like the basement, and then there's another room that you'll see some other people uh, in because there are captives in this house that doesn't give anything away uh, too crazy is reminiscent of, of um, you know, uh, reminiscent of, uh, this is going to give it away if I get ah, it. Don't, don't do it. Don't do it. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> but, but anyway, what, I, what I'll say is, is like, when you watch it, Glenn, you'll know. Uh, is it's it's meant to provide a feeling of of a system going through a system of sorts, and I, I just won't say what kind of system we're talking about because that would give yeah. away a twist. But, um, but yeah, but it, it's supposed to have that its own character, its own feeling to it, where you know um, it's representative of something larger than just the house. Well, after you mention Clockwork, I'll be very disappointed if there's not some giant porcelain penis. <laughs> in the film there is again there we, we had to keep all that off camera but Devin did want it <laughs> on set so uh <laughs> that was, but like i think you were mentioning that ben where it's like you know in clockwork the enjoyment of the violence um and we certainly do have that in in, in the film um yeah. is the the uh the disturbed uh again i can't say it without giving it away but like um there, that we do have a celebration of mm. it um yeah. at a certain point there's a moment where grandma comes full bloom in the film and that moment to me is one of my favorite moments visually of the film um because her character is now you you understand who she is and what she's doing and all that and she just comes she's full bloom she's a flower that is fully bloomed and it's this one scene where she is just like her words are vicious. Her words are just as vicious as what her actions are about to be. And it's just so like, yeah, like, and, and, and you, you know, she enjoys it. And it's, it's one of those things where it, it feels you're, you're still, you you can't help but like watch her, you know, yeah. uh, and watch her take uh, enjoyment in it. So. Awesome. Yeah. Where, where are we up to now, Ben? Is this the last one? This is the last one. Number five. Um, well, this, I, this is one that Josh and I did talk about, and this is a, I feel like a lesser known film, uh, but Josh and I talked a lot about it. It's a really great film, a great script. Sam Raimi's A Simple Plan, which is a bit of, I feel, I, I could be wrong about this, but I feel like it's a bit of a cult film. Like, I don't think it's, I feel like it's a lesser known, lesser appreciated film uh, with Billy Bob Thornton and um, Paxton, right? Paxton. Yeah. yeah. It, it's sort of very Cohen-esque. It is yeah. Cohen-esque, but it, without, it's not nearly as comedic. It's way more of like a, a dramatic thriller, but it never goes into the melodrama that you can find with drama thrillers. And it's so heartbreaking at the end of the film. It's all for nothing. Like, it's just so well done. The, the, the brother dynamic is amazing. The tension is just nonstop. Um, and it, and it's, it's it, I love that it's called a simple plan because it's also, the premise is so simple. Yeah. Like, it really is just, it just takes that bag of money premise and and it, it feels so wholly original in some way, too. I, I don't know how to... Because it is... It's his like Treasure of the Sierra Madre, right? Kind of, kind of right. film. It's it, it, like it, it's a remarkable film. I feel like it is one of those films that when it came out, like it was huge. Like it was a big kind of box office. Like at it's least big, here, what, big flash so, of light. Yeah, and then what and then completely because, okay. disappeared. And then completely disappeared. Like people just completely forgot about it. Yeah, that's it's so like good. a film when you watch it. Like it's hard to it's hard for me to go back and watch it. Because you know the whole time you're like, oh no, yeah. no, don't do that. 
don't do that. Like, it's like such, it's characters just continually putting themselves in worse and worse situations, Um, which is obviously probably why we were talking about it so much was like, yeah, just let your characters kind of like push into who they are and you're going to get the, the, all the drama that you need um, from that. And yeah, but the drive of greed and the drive of like, paranoia and jealousy and all that it's and but it's so simple it's so grounded in that film Mm. and it and it it it, like all the like the things that like billy bob thornton's character does like the decisions he makes are so fucking frustrating but (laughs) but weirdly like weirdly they never feel out of well because of his character they never feel out of line but like it doesn't feel forced it doesn't feel hammy it feels so and grounded and real it's so i felt great. i felt the same way about watching um uncut gems like every decision made it's like you know this is you can get out of this so easily yes yeah. oh yeah. my god it's just being your own worst enemy yeah you know? yeah it's so funny like and that goes to again i only say this because like other projects right now where it's like getting notes from people that are that are like this character needs to be more complex or like depth to this character and like stuff like so they want the character to make multiple kind of different decisions but what you're talking about in Uncut Gems is that Sandler's character is one track. And the reason why that works so well is because you know what that character is going to do. And when that character tries to go against that, you know it's going to be problematic for that character. So it's like way more, it, like every like meaningful character, like memorable character usually comes from a simple place that you can just understand. I know exactly who this person is like and why it's such a struggle to be that person. Um, and that's that's and that's something that Dev and I, in terms of keeping, really, you know, in terms of who hit Devin's character, Sonny, who he is, he has one track through the whole film. Like he has one mentality, um, and that's the goes for almost all the other characters besides Lucas, who is the only one who fully, you know, arcs or changes. Um, and and that's how you get to characters that the audience, you know, again will like. You might hate. Devin's character but you understand you understand that character though like you're not like confused by his decision making you're like you know who he is Mm. and it's totally legitimate that I think most people in the end of the day are the architects of their own demise and that is like it's not really you know situations kind of come and go but at the end of the day people usually stay pretty true to to themselves and are, are kind of responsible for where they where they end up even in heightened situations like the one in uh, in keeping company yeah, yeah i mean i think and i think that 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 uh principle or or that theory of like uh, some characters in films or, or especially in our film they don't arc they don't change they just reveal themselves yeah you know like they, you come, can... they come full circle they come they come to the point where it's like this is who you are and i always have been and now you've just leveled up yeah, no. like you wow. don't hide it. Like in the film, the 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 two salesman characters, their relationship does not really change despite what happens to them. Like it is laid out, you know, clearly at the start of the film their relationship, and that you know, it's heightened. That, yeah, yeah, and it's yeah, but and that they stay they stay one hundred percent true to that. Yes, yeah, uh, yeah. that, that was it, our that was our main intention with that. Yeah, and I do, and I and I do love the fact that they're both completely blind to each other. For like, sure, like they, yeah, and you you did bring it up earlier in the in the show. They they are, it's it's like they they almost they've created an image of who the other person is that's a reflection of them, and they are completely blind to the fact that the other person is completely different and coming from a completely different place, and they just they don't they don't realize it and. More importantly, they don't care. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just like yeah. Yeah. They're, they're two complete opposite ends of the spectrum. And yeah. you know, our, the, the thing is, like our the film, we 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 intended for this film to be a reflection of the worst in society that we see, the worst in humanity that we see. Not because we think that's how things should be, but we just didn't want to make a film that's like, hey, this is the way things should be. This is the way things ought to be. We wanted to like make the audience reflect upon like, do I know that person? Am I that person? 
do I, am I too naive in this way or whatever? Because once you can reflect upon that, you can then actually have honest conversations from that point on, you know, and it's not everything uh, is, not everything can get wrapped up in 90 to 90 minutes to 120 minutes in a perfect world. Right. You know what I mean? So it was like, yeah. we're like, let's, let's force a reflection upon people. Cause they, cause they are, not only are they oblivious to each other, but they're also oblivious to themselves. Like they don't, they've got no idea the monsters that they are kind of thing. Exactly. And they yeah. both are their own monsters and, and yeah. it, you know, it's all about balance. It's all about compromise. It's all about, you know, but there's none of that happening. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think pretty much the only character in the film who kind of, who even who for a second takes a, a step back and goes, hang on, are we is the, is Andy Buckley. And yeah. he's like so ineffectual. Yeah. That, you so know, yeah. <laughs> but he seems like to be the only one who's like, hang on a second. Is yeah. That- yeah. We wanted yeah. his character. His character was so funny to us because that was like a character who of a guy who was just a paper pusher who yeah. kind of realizes like how deep in he's got. Like, you know, um, but that's like again a part of the system. We like who are people that just participate blindly without thinking about it. And and that is the moment of of thinking about it. Um and you know, at the end of the movie, and it's even in the trailer, he, he's yelling like, I'm just a regular guy who loves insurance, you know. <laughs> uh and and you know, and it's obviously spun out of control for him. But that 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 is a real person that you would know. It's like that's that's all of us in some degree where we do just kind of operate in the systems that we're in and we don't really give it like, wait, what are we doing here? Why do we do it this way? Like, yeah. you know, we should be questioning why you guys don't have basements and we should be talking about that constantly <laughs> until you guys do have basements. <laughs> Oh, perfect way to um to round things off. Uh, we clearly could talk for hours about this, but um, I do have to wrap it up. But Keeping Company definitely, if it wasn't already in my top things to see at Monster Fest, it, it is now. Um, and it's screening at Monster Fest on December eighth, I think. Ben, is that right? That's correct. On December eighth at Cinema Nova in Melbourne. Excellent. So, Devin and Josh, thanks so much for dropping in and taking time to chat with us. Uh, best of luck with the film. It, you know, I can't wait to see it. Yeah, thank you guys so much thank for you having guys. us. Really appreciate it.